This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 110 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we tell the tale of the god of beauty, of youth and even of love. It is Angus Og of the Tour de Danon. But first, we want to give a very big welcome to any new listeners. If you enjoy this episode, why don't you head right back to the very beginning, 109 episodes over two years ago, and see what we've been building up to on the journey of Fireside. And if you're a returning listener, as always, you are very welcome bl- Welcome back. Please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Uh, it's the best place to get in touch if you want to say hello or if you have any thoughts. Uh, it is, if you're not on Instagram, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And please do, if you want to give an extra bit of support and join the Fireside community, please do support me over on Head Stuff Plus. It is the new home for all things Fireside, it's where all premium content will be. You can join now for for as little as five euro a month although you can pay as much as you want if you want to support me or other podcasts on the Headstuff podcast network and um, i've been delighted with the initial response to Headstuff plus a good few of the patrons have from patreon have already made the change over and while it is sad to see the number of patrons going down it is nice to see the uh, the numbers on Headstuff plus going up so a uh, big thank you now to adele fitzgerald matthew hill dara Corton. Nicole Sirlick, Bernadette Brady, Cassandra Burrow, Emma Grossmith, Christopher Kendall, uh, yes, uh, Jason Dixon and Brian McGlynn uh, for either making the swap over to Patreon or for just joining straight out to Headstuff Plus. It's great in the first couple of weeks of this brand new thing for the Headstuff Podcast Network who have supported Fireside from the very beginning. It is a, it feels like a great thing to be a part of and a great time to be a part of the network. And I can't thank those of you, the patrons particularly, who have supported this far, this podcast up to now and have made the change over. So thank you so much. But with that said, I want to give a thank you to, we have two new patrons on the Patreon, uh, which is Kevin Magner and Kieran D. Murphy, uh, which is funny because obviously Kevin is my name and Kieran is the name of my brother. So Kevin and Kieran, welcome along to the Patreon family. Uh, they joined Mike Campbell as this month's newest patrons, because as I said, the 
Patreon is going to be kept open for any of the supporters who want to stay there. And of course, for any listeners who are listening through the the couple of years of the podcast at the moment we want the patreon to be open to them if they're on episode 20 you know they won't know that headstuff plus has started until this point so i want it to still be open for them but in the long term headstuff plus is the better home not just because it's where i'll be uploading new articles and videos and bonus episodes but it is also means that the extra surplus money that is usually charged as a fee for patreon um that goes into the big podcast company that is patreon now goes to an independent homegrown irish podcasting network that has supported this podcast from the beginning so one more time please do and as i said before i'm given the hard sell for the first month because it's a brand new endeavor it's very hard to start a new business you know and it's something i really want to work for patty allen and connor and everyone at headstuff so join headstuff plus but the story for this week is this was a great one to do because it's been really, really enjoyable meeting these individual characters of the Tua Dan and these individual gods of Irish mythology who maybe were never the stars of their own stories when we did our first sweep through the four cycles of Irish mythology. But as we now dip back in and start to fill in the patchwork quilt of the Irish pantheon. It's been very exciting to discover new stories, to kind of put little kernels together where there are only little nuggets of stories and to try and weave a coherent tale of these individual people. And Angus is a big is a big one. He I always knew him as the god of love, but from my conversation with Mark Williams, who wrote the great book Ireland's Immortals, I discovered that this association with Angus Og as a god of love is a very recent thing. It's as recent as the 19th century. But as we will see when we meet the stories of him, the assumption that he was the god of love is way more understandable than I would have thought then as well. Because nearly every story to do with Angus is to do with love. And he is the representative of eternal youth and beauty. And he's a bit of a trickster as well. There's got a bit of a Loki flair to Angus Oak. So we're going to get right down to it. It's a it's a good, beefy, beefy tale. And I hope you enjoy it. We'll chat a bit more afterwards. But this is The Dream of Angus on Fireside. The Dream of Angus. Angus Og, god of the Tua de Danann, was conceived, gestated, and born in a single day. His father was the Dagda, all-father and god of agriculture and fertility. His mother was Boan, goddess of the river Boyne, of water and poetic inspiration. Boan and the Dagda had engaged in a love affair, while each of them was married to other people. When Boan fell pregnant, the Dagda had to come up with a clever way to conceal the infidelity. So the father god froze time. How did he have that power? Well, as he was a god of agriculture, the Dagda could manipulate the sun in the sky. So the father god froze the sun for nine months. Thus the baby was born on that same day, and the baby was named Angus Machog, Angus the young lad. 
Because of the circumstances of his birth, Angus became immediately associated with youth and beauty. And as we shall soon see, love. Because he could not be raised by his own parents, Angus was sent to the river god, Midir. But when he reached maturity, he returned home to his father, the Dagda, at his home at Brunabonia. The All-Father was dividing his rich and fertile land amongst all of his children. But no land was given to Angus Og. And lest you think this was because the young lad was illegitimate, this is the Dagda we are speaking about, and few of his many brood could be said to be, in our definition, of legitimate. Angus Og was nonetheless hurt and angry, so he decided to deceive his absentee father. He went to Brunabonia and asked, As all this land will soon be divided between my brothers and sisters, may I just once know the feeling to live in this home? May I sleep here for a day and a night? The Dagda didn't see anything wrong with this simple request. He should have known there was more to it. He should have known that Angus was truly his father's son. The next morning, the Dagda returned to reclaim his home. But Angus, in a spectacularly wonderful manipulation of the romance of the Irish language, reminded his father of the native tongue's lack of a definitive article. Let me explain. In the Irish language, I sleep for a day and a night would be Literally, I sleep for day and night. So when Angus Og had asked to sleep for a day and a night, he had really asked to stay for day and night, meaning forever. The Dagda had been outwitted by his own son in the most pedantic and still genius way imaginable. The Allfather could not even begrudge his son's cunning. Truly you are my son, and I could not be happier to relinquish Brunabonia to you. And at Brunabonia, or Newgrange as we know it now, Angus was visited by his foster father, Midir god of the river. Midir wanted to see his foster son's new digs. But while Midir was there, he was attacked by a stranger. A stranger who mistook him for Angus. We don't know why this stranger wanted to attack Angus. Perhaps he was a scorned lover, or had lost his love to the god. The Tuadidanan were rascals for that sort of carry-on. Midir was able to overpower and kill his attacker but not before losing an eye. Physical perfection was of the utmost importance to the Tour de Danon, and indeed to the medieval Irish. It was in the Brehen laws that no one could rule who was not physically perfect. Midir, as a river god and son of the Dagda, had prospects as a king, and so he could not rule with just one eye. So Angus Oak took his foster father to Dian Kicked, the healer, and Midir's eye was replaced. But the insult had to be repaid further. So Angus gave Midir 
the greatest gift it was in his power and imagination to give. The love of a woman. But not just any woman. The most beautiful princess of the Tour de Danon. Itain. The issue was, of course, that Midir was already married. When his wife Fuamach found out about his affair, she had Itain turned into a fly, or butterfly, depending on how romantic you are. Fuamach then carried Itain off in a storm across time and space, which Midir spent over a century searching for. Outraged by Fuamach's treatment of the innocent and beautiful Itain, once Midir was gone in search, Engus killed Fuamach for the crime of defending her own marriage. Engus was given his own foster son in Dirmid Odivna, or Dirmid of the Love Spot, who had a birthmark on his forehead which made those who saw it fall madly in love with him. Dermid joined the Fianna and became the greatest of them, second only to his loyal commander, Fionn McCool, even more so than Fionn's own son, Ushin. When Dermid was forced to elope with the princess Gráinne, who was supposed to marry the then-aged Fionn, it was with the help of Engus Og the lovers sought. The god promised to protect Dermid and Gráinne as long as they kept moving. And Engus did protect them from Fionn, but he was powerless to defend his foster son from his Gyasa, the taboo or curse that had been put on Dermid from his youth, a Gyasa that foretold he would be gored to death by a boar. Dermid died at the feet of Fionn Macool, who could have saved his life with water from his healing hands, but Fionn's anger could not give way to his love, and Dermid died. When Angus Og discovered the body, he brought Dermid back to Bruna Bonya and supposedly still brings the body back to life whenever he needs to speak to him. So, because of his bringing together the lovers Midir and Etain and his protection of Dermid and Gráinne, it is understandable that Engus Og became known as a guardian of all lovers, and by association he became known as the God of Love. He was eternally youthful, eternally beautiful, blonde of hair, blue of eye, armed with a harp and surrounded by his own kisses. Literally, Engus Og would turn his kisses into birds, which would flitter and fly around his head. Sometimes the young lad would send the birds off around the heads of confused lovers. Two would twitter, O come, O come, the others, O go, O go. I don't think there's many of us that have not had the birds of Engus Og flitter by our heads. But what of the god's own love life? Well, Angus Og saved the best love story for himself. One night Angus lay in bed in Newgrange, tossing and turning in a cold sweat. His dream was of a girl, a woman even more beautiful than Etain herself. Angus didn't think that were possible, but the girl called to him and he reached out. But just before he could touch her, like we always do, the young lad awoke. Angus lay in bed all day. He didn't eat or speak to anyone. 
He counted down the hours until it was time for bed again. He had to see this woman. He had to know who she was. That night, Angus dreamt of her again. This time she played him beautiful music on the harp, which eased the god's mind. And this went on for an entire year. Each day, Angus would long to be asleep and spend his nights wishing he was with this girl in the day. Soon and hard, Angus fell madly in love with her. He had to be with her. She had to be real. But in the physical world, the young lad had become incredibly ill. He was the vision of youth and beauty, but now he was pale and sleep and food deprived. He looked gaunt and emaciated, and not in a sexy Victorian libertine or Timothy Chalamet kind of way. The healer, Dian Kecht, was summoned. "'You're not eating,' he said. "'Well observed,' said the craggy Angus. "'You're in love,' said the Ankecht. "'The young lad had no barbed response to that astute observation. "'That's exactly it.' "'Engus then explained to the Ankecht about his year of dream romance. "'Well, we must find her,' said the Ankecht. "'How?' asked Engus. "'With the tour they done and my boy. "'Between us, we can find anyone.' First, Engus went to his mother, Boan who searched all the rivers and lakes of Ireland, but in a year had found no one to fit her son's description. Next, the Dagda was summoned. Oh, I get it, said the Dagda. First you take me, Gaff, and now you want me to find you someone to house us. He was being playful, of course, and did nothing else for a year but rout every farm and field in search of Angus's love. Finally, the Dagda said, If I cannot find her, we must go to Bodarig. Bodarig was king of the Tuatha Dé Danann in Munster. He would become king of all the Tuatha Dé Danann after the Dagda, and would give his daughter as a wife to Lear. They would have four children who would turn into swans. Bodarig did not find anything in Munster, but in the neighbouring province of Connacht he did. He returned to Angus and said, I think I have found her, at Loch Bel Dracoon in Critchcock, which translates wonderfully as the dragon's mouth. But you will have to come with me to confirm. Angus and Bodarig went to the lake and saw 150 women all chained in pairs. But Angus immediately recognised his rose among the bushes. Her name is Ker Ibermeth, said Bo. She is the daughter of Ethel Abuil, from She Uman in Connacht. It is not in my power to give her to you. Who does have the power? asked Angus. King Alil and Queen Maeve. And so Angus Og and Bo Darig went to Cruahan Fort to the court of Queen Maeve and her husband Alil. The girl's father was summoned, and he would not give up his daughter for any son of the Dagda. He would not reveal the source of her imprisonment for anything. You will tell us, or we will slit your throat, said Queen Maeve in a characteristic bout of fierceness. 
Ethel Unbuil eventually revealed his daughter lived in human form one year and was in the form of a swan the next, and she could only be released from the lake when she was in swan form. So Angus returned to the Dragonmouth Lake the following year, at the end of the harvest at Samhain, and there he called, Ker Ibermwth. Who calls, said a swan. My name is Angus Oak, and you are quite literally the girl of my dreams. Will you please come away with me? Angus turned himself into a swan, and paddled out to his love. There... She recognised him from his dream, and they embraced, and finally united. The lovers flew in swan form away from the lake and back to Bruna Boigne. Their melodious song put the entire valley into a peaceful sleep for three days and three nights. Engus Og finally slept easy in the arms of his one true love. And his story was immortalised by W.B. Yeats in his perfect song of wandering Angus. I went out to the hazel wood because a fire was in my head and cut and peeled a hazel wand and hooked a berry to a thread. And when white moths were on the wing and moth-like stars were flickering out, I dropped the berry in a stream and caught a little silver trout. When I had laid it on the floor, I went to blow the fire aflame. But something rustled on the floor and someone called me by my name. It had become a glimmering girl with apple blossom in her hair who called me by my name and ran and faded through the brightening air. Though I am old with wandering through hollow lands and hilly lands, I will find out where she has gone, and kiss her lips and take her hands, and walk among long dappled grass, and pluck till time and times are done, the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Hello my friends and welcome to That's Banging with me, Marcus O'Lara and me, Chris Mellon a new podcast celebrating everything good from farm to plate ship to service and field and fork a celebration of everything tasty, fresh and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment as well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country will be available on Apple Podcasts Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts and that is the tale of the dream of Angus on Fireside. Several stories. Again, you can you continue to see what I mean by the patchwork quilt of Irish mythology. 
when we re- when we do these revisits and these dips back into the four cycles, it's like we're dealing with all four of them at the same time. There are aspects of all of the cycles in in each individual ones. Like this would definitely be more of a mythological cycle story, and yet we have, you know, we have we meet King Alil and Queen Maeve, and it, it's the first time I've seen them in a totally outside story of uh, concerning the Tuatha Dé Danann. And interestingly enough, there wasn't. I didn't find a moment in the story itself to say this, but because Alil and Queen Maeve helped. Engus Og find his love in this instance. Engus actually supported them in the Thorn, in the Cattle Raid of Cooley, and actually supplied and fought on the side of Alil and Maeve, which I think is an incredible, incredible detail, and I'll be sure to remember that uh, should we revisit any stories of the Ulster Cycle. So yeah, like we have a couple of stories here at the beginning that we have dealt with in full-length stories in previous episodes of Fireside, but a lot of them were a long time ago, so I wanted to give a refresher to everyone and as much of myself and to really just see where Angus fits in to everyone else's stories before getting his own shining moment with the dream of Angus. Because this poem at the end that I read, the, the Song of the Wandering Angus, was... One of the first favourite poems I ever had. It was one of the first poems I knew off by heart. I've always, always loved it. And it's from Yeats's very early, early period. And he kind of... Uh, it's from a period of his poetry that he really, really abandoned when he moved moved away and kind of more into his more occultism and magic. And he produced a lot of his much stronger work uh, towards his later career. But I think examples like the the Song of the Wandering Angus and the Lake Olive is Free and a lot of his re- very famous early stuff is still incredibly beautiful. His, his late romantic stuff, as it would be known as. Um, and I think the Song of Wandering Angus is my favourite of that, where he took Angus Og. Yeats was very much a part of where this idea of, of Angus being considered a god of love came from. But you can very clearly see where that assumption would come from. So even if he's never referred to as a god of love in any of these saga tales, they're always to do with love. You know, he's always protecting lovers or helping lovers. And most significantly at the beginning here is we have, I always wondered how Midir was Angus's foster father. And now we know that because we've had the story of the drowned goddess most recently. And we know about this union between Boan and the Dagda. And so it just adds extra colour to what to Angus giving Midir the love of Attain, which is still my favourite love story. Uh, of all of them uh although this one is pretty spectacular they're just there seems something very real about this stephen fry when he's talking about greek mythology said that that was the thing that made him fall in love with greek mythology was there was something that just made sense about it he thought there was a rationale and a humanity to it and i think you can really see this with the dream of angus or certainly i can i because I think we've all, I think we've all dreamt of people. We've all had dreams that we've woken up, and we've wanted nothing more than to go back asleep. Or we regret so much that we are awake when we realize everything that has happened in it has been a dream. And Angus is just the example of someone who wastes away pursuing that dream, but still achieves it in the end through bizarre circumstances that. 
the whole circumstances of actually retrieving his love are so shrouded in mystery. It's still, it's a lot to, to wrap your head around and perhaps you're not meant to because there didn't seem to be any more detail I could find about like these 150 women all chained together and being swans one year and odds the next. Are they all the daughter of um, this Ethel, or uh, this Ellen? What is his name? Um, Ethel Anbuil. It was a lot of, yeah, a lot of very difficult Irish here. Unlock Bale Dracoon, the dragon's mouth. How cool is that? It's incredible. Let's talk about this this Irish thing at the beginning. This this is I love so much. Again, like I love the Irish language. I cannot speak it fluently, uh, although I I I endeavour towards it every day, and it's the podcast certainly helps keep Irish in my life and and keeps the desire there to 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 strengthen it. And we have an amazing example of it here. Because this is true, there is no definitive article of the Irish language. So we have the a day and a night being day and night. But I've never encountered that in a story before. Where that, you know, that, I wonder would that have worked if you were telling this story in Irish? That kind of, that trick and that deception, I feel, only works if you are an English speaker if you were aware of the English concept of a day and a night versus the Irish day and night. So it's probably a late addition to the tale, that detail of a post-Anglo-Irish transition. But I mean, I love it because, of course, all of these characters are speaking Irish to each other. And it was, it's a really nice reminder of that. And yes... It, it's something that really works with the marriage between these stories being told in English, but these characters speaking Irish. It's a rare, rare occurrence, and I absolutely adore that detail. And yet, we just we have a we have a great cast here. We obviously dip into you know the wooing of Attain and dip into the pursuit of of Dermot and Grania. That's another cycle. We have an entire chapter sub chapter of this story of the pursuit of german german and grania from the fenian cycle and where engus fits into that incredible detail there as well that supposedly engus brought the body of dermot back to newgrange and routinely brings it back to life when he has to talk to it like i don't know something out of american horror story or this there's an incredible like he's a reanimated corpse what was it? It was Pushing Daisies. I don't know if anyone remembers that series that had a huge amount of potential. I think it only got one series before it was cancelled. Uh, but it was about a pie shop owner who could bring people back to life with their touch. Um, but if he kept them alive for longer than five minutes, it meant another person had to die. So he usually had to bring them back to life and kill them again straight away. And he became like a private investigator. Really, really good idea. Very gothic, very early Burtony, um, but didn't didn't catch on unfortunately. But that that's what this reminds me of of Angus reanimating the corpse of Dermot. I wonder what advice he needed to ask him on, like, you know, advice on on his love life or whatever. But um, another great great little point there. 
And yeah, so we have like, you know, we have him going to Boan, we have him going to the Dagda, we have him going to Bo Darig, we have him going to Dian Kecht, the healer. There's a real there's a real pantheon here. There's a real cast of characters. This and this feels like a real journey because of that and a real progression. And then yes, culminating in meeting with, with Alil and Queen Maeve. And this image of swans, whatever it is about swans whenever swans feature in myths most significantly naturally uh, in the the children of lear which i was devastated to discover in arnold's immortals is an incredibly recent tale it doesn't exist before the 13th century which may not seem very recent now but i thought that was one of the very earliest tales but it's it's what would be called a neo-myth but naturally it is this image of these four swans you know, it is that visual that I think is the reason that story is more famous than the sum of its parts. You know, everyone, even if you don't know the ins and outs of the story, everyone knows the children of Lear. Everyone knows the name Tirnan Oak. It's just one of those things that's more famous than the story itself. And I think a huge amount of that is how strong and powerful the image of these four swans is. And naturally there's this whole idea of swans mating for life swans are always associated with love and there is a story in greek mythology with phaeton phaeton who was the son of apollo he was a mortal son of apollo who one day found out about his lineage and he went to olympus he went and found his father and it was it was a a system in of the Olympians of the ancient Greek gods that they couldn't refuse the request of a mortal, or once they you know once they said they would give a request they couldn't really refuse any. So with Phaeton, Apollo says, "Okay, I've been an absentee father. I'll give you whatever you want." And Phaeton wants to ride Apollo's sun chariot. Uh, Apollo rode his sun chariot every morning to bring about the day, but of course only he could ride that chariot or his was he assistant or was he brother he was a some kind of disciple was helios uh, who was also associated with the sun so of course as a mortal riding the sun chariot it all goes horrendously wrong and he, uh, phaeton ends up setting fire to africa which is supposedly where the sahara desert came from all deserts come from this destruction that phaeton caused by flying the sun chariot too low so that he could all uh, he could wave to all his friends in school and Zeus ends up having to shoot Phaeton out of the sky with a thunderbolt and he falls to his death. Why am I telling you that? Because Phaeton has a lover in the story who his name actually then comes to mean something. Cygnus, I think that's his name. Um, Cygnus cries for... Uh, for Phaeton, for his lost love, and the gods take pity on Cygnus by turning him into a mute swan, which is a species of swan that only, that is quiet its entire life, and then on, apologies, there's my phone going off, and then on its, as it's dying, it cries this one final cry, which is its swan song, so that's where that came from. So Cygnus then becomes Cygnus, which is the name of a young swan, because he was a young child, 
<laughs> there's my appalling listen to Stephen Fry's uh, mythos I think or no heroes Phaeton is in heroes in the second of his three Greek mythology books uh, there's my barbarous retelling of the story of Phaeton but I tell that to, as another case of European mythology and literature where where the imagery of swans is incredibly associated with love and as it is here yet again with Angus, as it is with the children of Lear. For there's and it must it must be just that nature of of the mating for life, the image of them peacefully on a lake, and this and the image of them, like the what the brilliant whites with the orange and the black. It's a very, very powerful, very stirring image, and it's it's not surprising that it occurs as much as it does here. And with that, I will wrap things up. But I really hope you enjoyed this today. I really, really enjoyed spending time in the company of Angus MacOg. It was great. It feels like he occupies the world of Fireside so much more now. So please do uh, follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Please uh, join Headstuff Plus if you want to join the Fireside community. Uh, thanks to Alan Paddy and everyone over at Headstuff. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time where we will have a folk tale about the fairy's dancing place. Uh, we might not have a better name for that, but that's that's what the working title of it is from the folk tale that I'm developing it from. Um, and we'll see you all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.